Uh, the story behind your name. Who has a story behind your name like that you could articulate? Like a lot of Americans, you know, we don't have huge stories behind our names. My name's Benjamin. My, my younger brother's name is Abraham. So we're a little out of order. Uh, it's a biblical name. You know, there's not much of a story there. My son Maddox, the story behind his name is we were watching the news and uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie had a son named Maddox. And we thought, that's cool. Let's name our son that. That's a cool story. Um, but names are important. Names are very important. Um, babies first learn to speak saying the, the, the name that they refer to their parents as, you know, you wait for it with bated breath. Come on, you can say it, mama or daddy, you know, and, and when I have, uh, when I'm holding a baby and, and they're growing up, they're starting to articulate. One of the things I love to do is encourage them to say my name. So Getty, you can say it, Ben, you know, and when they say my name, my, my heart warms, it's, it's awesome. So our son Maddox, for a long time, he went by Bubble because he couldn't quite get Bubba. Um, so he, he went by Bubble, that was his, his name for a while. I remember meeting my wife for the first time. Uh, she has a beautiful name, Maris. And of course I, I meet her and I'm like, what in the world does Maris mean? That's so... That's so beautiful. It means of the sea. It's Latin for of the sea. So yeah, we, names are important. Uh, we, we love when people remember our names. Very important. Um, I, I uh, saw this come across. I thought it was funny. This guy says, I asked an old man once, even after 95 years, you still call your wife darling, honey, and love. What's the secret? And the old man answered, I forgot her name 10 years ago, and I'm scared to ask her. Right, So we want to have a culture, though, if you forget someone's name, let's not be scared to ask. Let's, let's ask, let's remember, let's get going. So in Advent, we, we celebrate God moving into our neighborhood. And we've lit these candles, peace, uh, hope, peace, joy, and today, love. So God moves into the neighborhood and brings love. So the Tallgrass Church mission statement that we coined uh, three plus years ago when we planted our church, and now we're merging with the well, we're excited about that, but the, the, our mission statement was just very basic, very simple. The mission statement that every church should have. Because first, God first loved us, we exist to do what? Love God and love our neighbors. And that is all modeled after what we celebrate at Christmas, Christ moving into our neighborhood. So what's the story behind Jesus' name, if any? Have you ever thought about that? All of the sudden, 2,000 plus years ago, but thousands of years into the story that we read about in the Bible, all of a sudden, we get the name Jesus. What's the story behind his name? Well, we read early in Genesis about Adam and Eve says the man and the wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So think about that. God was in their neighborhood. God was present. He walked with them. Perhaps Adam and Eve knew the first name of God at that time. I, I don't know for sure. But of course, as the story happens, you know, they had rebelled against him and they actually hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And something about the, the name of God, I'm sure, was lost as part of the fall of humanity occurred. 
But not long after that, we read that at that time, so shortly after Seth was born, people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began calling out for the one who walked in the cool garden with Adam and Eve. A little bit later, we read of, of Abram, whose name was actually later changed to Abraham. It says there, uh, towards the hills east of Bethel, Abram, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Starts crying out, trying to get to know who is this creator God. He's calling out. He wants to know who is God. Hundreds of years later, we come to a character named Moses. And there's this, this, this scene where Moses He's actually, uh, he grows up in Egypt. And so what, what, who all does, what all does he know about the, the faith of his fathers? We don't really know. He's a conflicted character. He grows up in Egypt, but he's an Israelite. And at age 40, he kills a man um, who's, a, who's oppressing his people and he flees and he's trying to make sense of his life. And then he finds himself at the mountain of God, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame. Remember the burning bush? Uh, if you haven't read the scriptures in Exodus 3, you can read the story of the burning bush where God calls out and says Moses' name. Now, how is that for God himself to say your name? He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. And this is what God says to Moses. Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Who is he? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So that, what does that even mean? I am, I am. God is. Like God now is going to begin filling in the blanks of who he is. Who is this God, the great I am? So God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am the one who shows up over and over and over again in your family story, providing for you, shepherding you every step of the way. That is my name. That's how I shall be remembered, the God who provides, the God who saves. So the word, the Lord, as we have it trans, or, uh, yeah, translated here, the Lord, all caps, Lord, uh, was, the, was the way the, the English um, uh, connotate or denotates Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh. It's called the Tetragrammaton. So if you want to geek out a little bit, you can go look into this. The Tetragrammaton. In the, the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's just denoted by Y-H-W-H. Uh, the Jews today won't even pronounce this name because they, they believe God is, is so high and lofty that we can't even say his name. So all, all modern denominations of Judaism teach that this four-letter name of God, Y-H-W-H, which we would pronounce Yahweh, is forbidden to be uttered except by the high priest in the temple. And since the temple in Jerusalem, no longer exists, this name is never said in religious rituals by Jews today. They never speak this name of God that God was revealing to Moses today. 
However, some religious, non-Orthodox Jews, they're willing to pronounce it, but just for educational purposes, never in casual conversation. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, that's a huge deal to, to approach the Lord which, with such casual familiarity. So Yahweh is so transcendent and above us that the Jews, even to this day, will not even utter his name. So fast forward in Moses' life, several years later, Moses asked God to show him his glory. So think about God revealing more and more of who he is to Moses. He is, he's now delivered them from Egypt. He has shown up in their lives over and over again, and, and Moses wants more of who God is. So he says, God, show me your glory. You can read about this in Exodus 33, where God says, listen, I will pass by you. I will say my name, but I have to cover you up in the cleft of a rock, and all you get to see is my backside. You can only see the backside, because if you see my face, you will die. You can't handle it. So, so God puts Moses in this cleft of a rock, and he passes over. And in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. He passed in front of Moses. He proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So God is, is speaking more about who he is, his character. And we fast forward through the Old Testament and we come to the end of the prophets and there's this 400 year silence after Malachi, which we've talked about through this Advent season. So there's 400 years where we're not learning much more new about this transcendent God, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But then all of a sudden in Luke 1, we learn that God is going to tell us with more specificity his name, who he is. So familiar part of the Christmas story, the, the angel Gabriel says, you, Mary, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. Now we begin to learn the first name of God Almighty, Jesus, the one who walked in the cool of garden or the cool garden with Adam and Eve. Jesus, he saves, he will be great. He will be transcendent. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, David, his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He is the most high. He is creator God, we learn in John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus was co-creator with the father and he came to those who were not his own, to both Jew and Gentile, it says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And as Dave preached on last week, this word took on flesh. Almighty God, the most high, took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Think about that. When you show up to your home and you see a moving truck coming in, and you're like, huh, I wonder who's moving in. I wonder what their name is. I wonder what their story is. I wonder what 
baggage they're bringing, with, what luggage they're bringing with them, but also what baggage they're bringing with them. Jesus moved into our neighborhood. The, the, the word here actually in the Greek is he tabernacled among us. I remember the, when the, the Jews, they wandered in the wilderness and the tabernacle of God traveled with them. That's the word used here of Jesus. He moved into the neighborhood. He took up his dwelling right among us and showed us how to neighbor well. And we learn that this one, Jesus, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, on the name of Jesus, will be saved. It says, how can they call on the one they've not believed? How can they believe if they've not heard? How can they hear unless someone tells them, someone speaks of this man, Jesus? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful it is, or sorry, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So when you represent Jesus in your neighborhood, you walk into your neighborhood and you bring news of the name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus, your feet go from gunky, grimy, dirty, nasty to beautiful because they bear good news. So one question to think about is, is when you show up in your neighborhood, is that good news? Is it, are you bringing good news to your neighborhood? And the same Jesus uh, we learn in Philippians 2, as we've already said, he is the almighty, the transcendent. It says, God will exalt him to the highest place and give, sorry, God exalted him to the highest place after his resurrection and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in Christ, we have both the transcendent and yet the one who moves right into the neighborhood, intimately acquainted with you and I, if we will just pay attention. The way Matthew puts this uh, in Matthew 1, he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. He says, all of this stuff took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which we were singing earlier, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. This means God with us. Back to the garden where we're, we're walking with God Almighty, without sin, without shame, without guilt. Jesus has, has many names. Jesus, he is Christ, he is Messiah, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us, he is rabbi, he is teacher, he is shepherd, he is all of these things and we can relate to him. He has moved in to our neighborhood to befriend us, to save us and what a beautiful name it is and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So Jesus moving into our neighborhood is not just about him saving you and I. It's also about teaching us how to neighbor so that when we show up in our neighborhoods, we show up like Jesus showed up here on that first Christmas years ago. So there's a famous story in the Bible, uh, Luke 10. And if you haven't read this, if you're new to the Bible, it's a great place to go. Um, Luke 10, 25, this, this situation where this expert in the law expert in Jewish law, Jewish guy, stands up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. What must I do to have the abundant life, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled? 
And Jesus says, well, you're an expert in the law. You're a very religious dude. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man said, love God with all your heart, with your soul, your mind, your strength, your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great, you got it. Do this and you will live, right? So if you just love God with everything, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're good to go. Well, this, this, uh, this Jewish religious leader wants to justify himself, wants to draw parameters around who is his neighbor so that he can know if he did it or not. So he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the most intense story of neighboring ever, where this, uh, this dude is beaten, left for dead, he's naked on the side of the road, and then the most religious people around walk by, see him, and cross over on the other side, right? Totally disregarding this guy in his great and utter need. And then eventually a Samaritan who would have been hated by this Jewish religious leader. This Samaritan comes in and, and lavishes this grace and mercy, uh, pays his expense, says, pay, take care of him, whatever he needs. And then Jesus looks at the teacher of the law and says, well, which one of these has been a neighbor? And the religious leader, of course, his heart sinks because Jesus just gave him a PhD level uh, course in neighboring. He put his finger right there. You need to love who you consider a domestic terrorist, this Samaritan, right? So this is next level neighboring. This is Jesus raising the bar so very high that it would absolutely crush this religious leader so that he knows he needs what Christ ultimately offers on the cross, right? So we read that story and we think, okay, Jesus, if I'm ever walking in an alley and I see a guy totally beaten up and naked on the side of the road, I'll help him and I will thus fulfill the law and I'll do a good job. Great. Well, what if, what if we, we took the bar from way up here? So preachers, a lot of times, we like to raise that bar way, way up. Listen, Jesus died on the cross. He did for you what you could never do for yourself, which is live a perfect life. He's already paid for all your sin, the fact that you've passed by countless people and not neighbored well. He has paid for all of that. He wants us to now begin to follow in his footsteps for those who have chosen to follow him. So what if we lowered the bar super, super low as a church? What if we said we want to neighbor well we're not really looking to love our domestic terrorist next door who's beaten up on the side of the road. If you come across that, sure, go ahead. But let's start at a basic low, low level. Okay. Or, or have you ever played limbo? Who, who's done the high jump? Anyone? Okay, how about who's, who's played limbo before? Okay, we got a, little, a few more hands there. Limbo, you start with the high bar. It's super easy, right? You just walk right under it. And then it intensifies over time. We gotta lower the bar once you've mastered that. And so instead of raising the bar, we're gonna lower the bar. I'm gonna start at the basic level, easiest level. It's kind of like uh, one of the first messages Josh gave where he said, okay, who's your one? We're not talking about loving a hundred different people. Just choose one person. Or one message I gave, like, let's, 
we need to love people out there, but let's really focus on loving people just right in here. So today's challenge is to learn names. I'm pretty sure if you want to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you might need to start with knowing their name, right? So, so, um, so if we're doing limbo as a church, right up here is just learning names. What if in 2022, we became really, really good at learning names within this, this small community, this fellowship, but that expanded to our neighborhoods and to the 80,000 people out here who, who aren't involved in a church at all. And we knew their names. So here's a test. This is a pre-test as we head into 2022, okay? If you have a sheet of paper, pull that out. And I'm gonna encourage you to go ahead, if you have it, pull it out. If not, you can do this mentally. That's fine, that's okay. And on your sheet of paper, draw a tic-tac-toe uh, grid. In the middle of this grid, put your name, okay? Do you remember your own name? <laughs> so that's my name. You can't copy off of me. Now, I want you to think about where you live and in the surrounding quadrants, write the names, first name of your neighbors, okay? So you might think, oh. And you don't write in there, you know, the cat lady or the guy who drives a red Miata or... Um, the person who fights with their girlfriend, write their name. There shouldn't be collusion between spouses here. I should have given that caveat. Don't reach over. Hey, you, you met so-and-so, right? Is everyone working on this? You don't have to spell their name correctly, just get their name right. Who got 100%? I'm, I'm looking out there. Ron wins, okay. Now Ron needs to take it to the next level on, the, on limbo, right? Morgan got it, that is awesome. So maybe 1%, 2% in here. And I wrote this test and I couldn't even get this right because there's some names right next door I don't know because they're not even outside that often. But what if we, so, so we could call this the, the sheet of shame or the grid of guilt. And maybe we take this, you know, and we think in terms of, okay, who are my immediate neighbors? And can I even begin to learn their names? And as I've already mentioned, the blood of Christ covers all sin, shame, guilt. So don't feel bad. This is where we're at and we can start right here. We could also do this, uh, we could do a church grid where we look to our left, look to our right, look in front of us. Do we know the names of the people in the room right now? So this, this, this is a, uh, seems like a basic thing, but what a place to start. We're just starting out the game of limbo, right? Right here. And over time, we can get better and stronger at neighboring. I'll never forget one of the reasons this is so important to me personally, when I was a freshman, I walked into Redina's. It, it was, used to be Espresso Royale. Anyone remember that? This was years and years back. Um, 
And I walked in and there the barista was actually a guy who led the worship for, for the, a large Christian or a large um, uh, collegiate ministry. So in my mind as a freshman who was kind of getting involved in collegiate ministry, this guy was a big deal. I was like, this guy is awesome. Man, he is so cool. I mean, he's, he's a nice guy. Um, he can play the guitar great. He's leading, people know him. This is awesome. And I walked up to order and he looked at me and said, what can I get for you, Ben? And I, it was impactful. As a freshman who, who went from, you know, kind of a big man on campus in high school, and then I came, I felt like this small fish in this large pond here at Kansas State University. I felt so insecure. I was just trying to find my bearings. And to walk up and for him to say, what can I get for you? Ben, and I couldn't even remember his name. It left a big impact on me. I remember I began to uh, pull out, you know, I'd carry a notebook with me at my collegiate ministry, and as I learned names, I'd try to write them down, and that's kind of stuck with me, not because I was good at it, but because of the impact on someone remembering my name when I didn't expect them to do so. So now I keep like an Evernote full of names, and I try to to, I have to work on them. It's kind of like scripture memory. You got to work, work at this. So what if at our church, um, remember that phrase appropriately disappointed anyone? So we, we talked about what if our whole thing was, hey, come to our church. We'll remember your name. And we did it. <laughs> that would be so cool, right? So we're going to work on this. We are. We're going we're gonna to get our tall grass at the well directory going so that we can work internally and so we can expand our capacity for remembering names. We may do name tags a couple weeks, although I have my own hesitations about spoon feeding one another in that way. We need to work at this. We can help one another. If we forget a name, ask for help. So how do we love our neighbor? I'm pretty sure it begins with remembering their name. There's a great quote from this book called Better Together, actually, um, by Robert Putnam. It says, the more neighbors who know one another by name, the fewer crimes a neighborhood as a whole will suffer. A child born in a state whose residents volunteer, vote, and spend time with friends is less likely to be born underweight, less likely to drop out of school, and less likely to kill or be killed than the same child, no richer or poorer, born in another state whose residents do not. Society as a whole benefits enormously from the social ties forged by those who choose connective strategies in pursuit of their particular goals. So keep pursuing the big goals, the career goals, the family goal, all the things. Connective strategies, remembering one another's names will help everyone benefit. So let's talk just a little bit if we were to take that limbo bar, right? So right here is neighboring is knowing names and pronouncing them correctly, right? If we wanna grow as a church uh, to embrace the, the beauty of diversity, then we need to work at knowing how to pronounce names, right? So I, I encourage you, let's correct one another. Let's help one another get our names right. Because the only one that can change someone's name besides themselves is Jesus. I, I did come across this. I thought it was funny. One of Jesus' most underrated alpha moves is just assigning new names to his followers. He said, greetings, O oh Lord, my name is Simon. Yeah, I'm going to call you Peter, okay? 
Only Jesus gets to do that. We need to learn one another's names. In fact, Jesus in Revelation 2.17 to the angel of the church in Pergamum, it says he will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus, he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So beyond names, if we were to lower that bar of limbo, just we, we need to learn stories, the histories of our people, the people that you run into, what makes them tick, where are they from, uh, what's gone on in their life. And then a next, a next level would be their hopes. What are their hopes? What are their joys? Where can we celebrate with them? What are they aspiring to? How can we come alongside them in their lives and their aspirations? And finally, their hurts and their pains. How can we weep with them? That's next level, neighbor. And that's getting the bar low in the game of limbo. Be present with our neighbors to see their need and to be able to, to be invited into not only their joy, but their pain. That's, that's good stuff right there. One, one more quote. This is from a great book called The Neighboring Church, where I stole the, um, the, the sheet of shame activity. It says, a healthier way to live. So um, Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of this remarkably healthy people of Rosetta, Pennsylvania. So researchers and physician um, Stuart Wolf discovered Rosetta held a medical mystery. This would be good to know about. Even though the residents received 41% of their calories from fat, they smoked heavily, they struggled with obesity, hardly anyone had heart disease. Furthermore, said Wolf, there was no suicide, no alcoholism, no drug addiction, very little crime. They didn't have any welfare. And then they looked at peptic ulcers. They didn't have any of those either. These people were just dying of old age. So how do we get this? A community where you can eat and drink whatever you want and be really healthy. As we get ready for our New Year's resolutions, you guys can thank me later, okay? How do we get this? It says, Gladwell summarized the reason for this healthy community. By the way, I'm into fitness as well. Eat well, let's try to do those things. But what Wolf slowly realized was the secret of Rosetta wasn't diet, it wasn't exercise or genes or the region where Rosetta was situated. It had to be Rosetta itself. As Brun and Wolf, they walked around the town, they began to realize why. They looked at how the Rosettans visited each other, stopping to chat with each other in Italian on the street or cooking for each other in their backyards. They had margin for neighboring, and they did it. This, this is hard work. For me, I, I, I'm more introverted than you realize. I like to show up, go home, and not be seen or spoken to. When people ring the ring device, and Maris is like, so-and-so is here, I'm trying to scramble to get out of that. I need to work at this neighboring thing to create margin to be present, to show up and be present with my neighbors. Especially if I want to be healthy, as we're learning here. Last bit of this quote. They learned about the extended family clans that underlay the town's social structures. They saw how much respect grandparents commanded. They went to Mass at Our Lady of Saint, or sorry, Mount Carmel Church and saw the unifying and calming effect of the church. So what if we worked on our neighboring, learning names, learning stories, learning hopes, learning hurts, 
And we expanded our capacity, that tall grass at the well, whatever we end up calling it ultimately, was this, this place in space that brought spiritual vigor, but also physical health to our communities. What if that was our gift to our neighborhoods and our community at large? What if God is asking us to love our actual neighbors? Instead of thinking about that theoretical PhD level neighboring, let's get down to kindergarten level and let's love our neighbors. Just four quick words to help orient us to that. So neighboring, and when I say neighboring here, neighboring, as I'm using it here, is, is synonymous with loving. Neighboring, as Christ neighbored. Neighboring is staying, it's presence. It's, it's showing up, it's accepting the local hospitality. Our houses are not designed for this. We have gr big garages that you just drive into and then you go into your home and then most houses that are built today have a master bedroom, which is essentially a home, a fortress within the fortress. So you can insulate yourself even further from your family. And maybe there's a backyard, big backyard, privacy fence so you can do your thing. We need to reclaim front porch culture so that you're out visible. People can see you. They can nonchalantly say hi. They don't have to be locked up in your backyard with no escape routes. They actually can just kind of tiptoe around and, and familiarize themselves with you a little bit. So we need presence. We need to stay, be present. Praying. By the way, Jesus still does all these things. He's present. He's still praying. Praying for our neighbors, for God to open those doors, open those opportunities. Help us get outside our comfort zone. Or maybe we find our comfort zone. Uh, if you're introverted, maybe neighboring is the thing for you. One-on-one -on -one conversation. Staying, praying, playing, having a good time. Um, I, I was at a wedding recently and my friend looked at me and was like, man, I just, I'm, I wonder what, how Jesus would engage at this wedding feast. What was Jesus' presence like? Did he just show up and have a good time and just play, play with friends, just be present and, and enjoy being with one another? And finally, as the Lord opens doors, saying, speaking of the name of Christ, and once you learn names and you learn stories and you're present in hopes and hurts and you're praying, God will open doors for you to speak of him. And that'll be awesome. Which by the way, you know, um, I think sometimes Christians, we're too shy to share our faith. If, if people want to know that you care about them, they want to know what do you care about. When my Muslim friend or my Baha'i friend shares with me about their faith, I know they want to influence me because they care about me. And that's okay, as long as they're genuinely my friend. I think we need to offer that to our neighbors as well. Let them really know us and what we care about as long as, as it's not attached with, or strings aren't attached, right? Just love them. Go and do likewise, Jesus says, like him. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Just ask a few questions. So what if our gift to our neighborhoods was to be neighbors who knew their names? What if you, you don't have to tell them that's your gift, you know, but just what if that was your gift? You worked this year next year, to remember names. We offered that to one another here. And that if we were to begin generating prayer lists 
they would start really small with your one, right? But then I'd begin praying for your one. And then all of a sudden we see that we're chipping away at this 80,000 kind of nameless people. And we know their names. We know their stories. We, we know their hopes. We know their hurts. And when the time is right, we can introduce them to the name of Christ. What if our groups that meet throughout the week were places where people could bring their hopes and their hurts and be known? What if we were people who over time could introduce our neighbors to Jesus, you know, the most beautiful name there is? And what if this place, when we gather here, was the place where we experienced the presence of Emmanuel, God with us together? Lord, thank you for the morning. I pray that you would help us to, uh, any who need to put their faith and hope in Christ, that they would do that even, even this morning. I pray that you would help each of us to take that next step towards neighboring like Christ did. I think of that scene uh, after Christ raises from the dead and he's in the garden and, and Mary is looking around for him and she can't recognize him yet. And, she, and Jesus says, why are you crying? He's like, I can't find the body of my Lord. And then Jesus looks at her and says her name, Mary. And she's broken. She says, teacher, rabbi. And then she goes from there to share, Christ has risen. Lord, I pray that, that you would connect with each of us, that we would hear you speak our name, and that we would take that same experience of your love and we would be vessels of your love to our neighbors. Even now and into 2022, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.